And recently I was listening to a podcast uh, by Tim Keller and he was walking through uh, ministry practices that John Calvin did that the current church could uh, adopt. And one of the things that he mentioned and he said was very profound in uh, the ministry of John Calvin is that he immersed his people in the Psalms monthly. It came all the time. In the beginning of John Calvin's uh, commentary on the Psalms, it's three volumes, but the beginning of it, he says this. I have been accustomed to call this book, the Psalms, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life of all griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men face. In other words, the Psalms is, if we immerse ourselves in the Psalms, we often will be able to react in situations that come into our life in a very God-honoring way because we've heard them time and time again. So this morning in Psalm chapter 62, this is again a Psalm of David. He is the author, and scholars are kind of unaware of where uh, in his life this was, but what we do know is that David is waiting for deliverance. There is something tragic that is going on in his life, and he is waiting for God to deliver him, him from this threat of death. So let's go ahead and look at Psalm chapter 62 this morning. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter, which is verses 1 through 12. To the choir master, according to Jedinath, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in exhortation. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, for you will render a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you uh, thankful that we get the honor and the privilege to come before you studying your word to understand more of the perplexities of our own soul in response to this world and how we are to respond in kind to you. At the same time, Father, we are grateful that you have revealed yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, and now through the Holy Scriptures that we get to study this morning. God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds as we uh, look to your word this morning. 
In the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, recently there was a news article uh, that was written entitled, Why Waiting is Torture. I'm going to read a little bit of, of this. Some years ago, executives as a, at a Houston airport faced a troubling customer relations issue. Passengers were lodging an inordinate number of complaints about the long waits at bag- baggage claim. In response, the executives increased the number of baggage handlers working that shift, and the plan worked. The average wait fell to eight minutes, which was the industry standard at the time, but the complaints continued to roll in. Puzzled, the airport executives undertook a more careful on-site analysis. They found that it took passengers one minute to walk from their arrival gate to the baggage claim, and then seven more minutes to get their bags. Roughly 88% of their time, in other words, was standing there waiting for their bags. So the airport decided a new approach. Instead of reducing wait times, it moved the arrival gates away from the main terminal and routed bags to the outermost carousel. Passengers now had to walk six times longer to get their bags and complaints lowered to zero. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Now, next time you're in an airport, you can think about this. We don't like to wait at all, right? We do everything we can not to wait. And in our time, in our culture right now, many of our answers that we want to have, we don't have to wait for. We can just Google them on our phone. If you want to know the last time the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, if you don't know that, it was in the mid-90s, you can Google it, right? And you can have the answer in, the, in, the, in just a few seconds. We order our food ahead of time. We order our coffee ahead of time. So it's sitting there. I literally, before I go to Starbucks, I live four minutes from Starbucks and I work there often. I order my coffee at my house. I show up and it's there, ready for me. I don't have to wait at all, right? We get angry if there's traffic because we have to wait. We're frustrated when our food takes too long at a restaurant because we have to wait. And we're living in a time where wait times are being lowered and lowered and lowered at every cost for businesses because customers do not like to wait. In a phrase, we could say waiting is torture. Now, these examples that I've mentioned here, they're nuisances, right? It's a nuisance to have to wait seven minutes for your bag or ten minutes for your coffee. But they're not life-changing events, right? But there are times in our life when we are waiting on truly difficult circumstances, that our heart hurts badly because we are having to wait and wait and wait. And I think that's actually what we see in this passage today, that David's back was up against the wall his life was being attacked he wasn't waiting for a cup of coffee his life was being threatened and he was waiting on deliverance from the lord so in our own lives when we wait on resolutions for difficult pain for difficult circumstances and we're waiting day after day week after week month year decade after decade where are we turning Maybe you have been praying for your marriage to turn around. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting and trying, and you continue to wait. Maybe you have a a wayward child that's run away from the Lord, and you've been waiting year after year after year for the child to come back, and they don't come back. 
Maybe you have been waiting for the Lord to bring you a spouse, a God-honoring spouse, and year after year passes and you still do not have a spouse by your side. Maybe you're waiting for physicians to figure out what is wrong with your body. And you get bounced from doctor to doctor and you wait. And there's no result. In our life, we often want these quick, short answers. We're used to that. We're We're used to resolutions coming quickly. So waiting when it comes in our life can often lead us to doubt God's goodness and faithfulness, right? Like, God, are you hearing me? Are you listening? Are you still good? Are you faithful to us? In our text today, we get to see David's facing a life-threatening situation. And he's waiting for the Lord to deliver him from it. And we're going to get to see how he responds. So the theme today, we're going to talk about this several times, kind of throughout what we're looking at, is that waiting brings an opportunity to trust in the Lord. Waiting brings an opportunity to trust in the Lord. I have this, should be up here, as well as in your bulletin. There's that theme, and then the outline we're looking at first, we're going to look at seasons of waiting, that David is in a season of waiting. And we all go through these seasons of waiting where there are big issues in our life, that we are waiting for them to be resolved. And how, what is the condition of our heart in those times? Secondly, we're going to look at our refuge in waiting. And lastly, we'll look at fulfillment of waiting. So let's first look at seasons of waiting. Verse 3, it says this. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. So for David, his back is against the wall. And these people that are are attacking him are, are viewed as brutally aggressive they are deceptive in verse three in the second half it describes the situation like he is feeling like a wall that does not have a proper foundation that he is about to crumble his foundation is weak he can't stand any longer and in his weakness it seems like to him that the pressure is just too much to bear so he begins this verse verse three with how long how long how long is this going to go on How long am I going to feel this pressure? How long will his enemies put the threat of death upon his head? And you can see the strain in his voice. And he's languishing. God, how long is this going to go on? Verses 9 and 10, he goes on a little bit further. He says this. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in exhortation, verse 10. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So here, in this moment of waiting, he is saying to the reader of high estate or low estate, he's saying essentially any man, they're not really supposed to say anything besides all of humanity. He's saying all of humanity. What does he say? They are but a breath. They are a delusion. They are passing in the wind. They are momentary. So with that said, in verse 10, he tells us, put no trust in their words, in their exhortations. Put no trust in their money or other people. So think about the whole message in his waiting that he's saying here. You're going to go through these seasons of waiting, of torment of the soul, and you're going to ask, how long will this go on? How long will this pain rob my soul of joy? And our temptation is going to be to look to other people for a quick fix. 
to look to someone else around us that has a solution that will even numb the pain for a few moments. And we could even be tempted to put our hope in the situation being fixed rather than the one who can fix it himself. So in David's heart here, he's wanting resolution. Who will he trust? Where will his heart find rest and relief amidst his waiting? We all go through seasons of waiting and hard times in our life. All of us, everyone in the room, I guarantee, if you have not gone through this already, you will. And when we look at the psalm, when we look at Psalm 62, we have to say, if that comes, if it has not come already, or if it is here, where is my heart resting? You know, most of my life, uh, I've been a pretty happy-go-lucky, you know, I know a lot of you guys pretty well. I've been, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky type of person, right? Half glass full. I love being with people. Like, my birthday parties have always been, like, as many people as the house that I lived in could hold. Like, that's always how it's been. I just love being with people. I love life. I remember uh, many years in my life where I would have days that I couldn't fall asleep because I was so excited about the next day, right? That's, like, who my person has been for a long time. Now, at the same time, um, over the past five years or so, uh, and I don't know if this has come with age or what, uh, but I have, I've been hit with waves of like, like deep anxiety and depression that have come in big waves. And in these moments, I have spoken very similar to words that David has here. I say, how long is this going to last? How long is my joy going to be robbed from this darkness that I feel like is all around me? You know, I've done some important things with this. I don't want to make the illustration about me as much. But, you know, I, I've seen a therapist. I've done, seen my physician. I've prayed to the Lord. But at the same time, I have been tempted over and over and over again to get a quick resolution, a quick fix. For me, it looks like going to get an extra dessert sometimes. Maybe it's um, looking for something that will just numb the pain, something that's getting me away from this waiting. I don't want to have to wait anymore. But the thing is that time and time again, I find myself looking outside of God for relief. Instead of trusting in the Lord to be my rock and my pain, I look for other things. I don't like to wait. Waiting is torture for this to be gone, right? So if we're honest, this is a temptation for us all, right? We, in our waiting, we look for quick fixes, for something to numb the pain. We look for something to distract us from the hurt that we are facing. We, hurt, we turn to human devices when we should be turning to Jesus. What does David say about these things that we turn to so often? They are a breath. They are a delusion. They pass as quick as they come. There's no foundation for you to lay your hurt on there, is what David tells us. So we're all going to go through these seasons of waiting, being tempted to trust outside of Jesus. So let's look next. What should we trust in if not human devices? Our refuge in waiting, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly 
shaken. So we see this is how the psalm actually started, right? And we see from the beginning that this is one of confidence in God. But the original language, the the words that he uses, it actually expresses that this confidence that he has, it's come after a long time of struggling with the issue. That this did not come naturally to David. That he didn't just say, well, I'm waiting and God's got my back right away. No, he's been wrestling with it. And he's saying, is this really necessary? How long do I have to hold on? You know, David uses this word in the English. It's translated only. And, and, and it shows that word is actually used six different times in the psalm. But over and over again, it shows that these things don't come naturally to David like they don't for you and me. When we are waiting in our hurt, it's going to be natural for us to turn to other things to get comfort. That's why we come to a psalm like Psalm 62 and say, that is not what's best. What's best is to see that God is my rock, that God is my salvation. He is my fortress. He is only able to say this, David is, after much struggle. And once he has come to this place, he helps you and me, the readers, for generations upon generations who have read this text, see that I know your struggle. I know your pain. Yet, see that the Lord is your salvation. He is your rock. He is your fortress. If you skip a few verses down in verses 5 through 8, it sounds like a repetition. He uses very similar words, getting a similar point, but there's a couple key differences. In verse 5, it says this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. And he turns to the congregation. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge to us. We remember back to verses 1 and 2. He was declaring at the beginning For God alone, my soul waits in silence. It was a declaration in verse 1. Here in verse 5, let's read it again, the very first six or seven words. For God alone, my soul, comma, wait in silence. The Hebrew literally reads, be silent. He's telling his own heart, even in this text, after he's wrestled with it for so much time, he's having to remind himself, Wait and look to God as your refuge, as no one else. He's telling himself, remember these things. Believe that God is your hope. Believe that God is your rock. Despite the trying circumstances that you are in, God is your salvation. God is your fortress. Verse 8, I, I, I gave us a little precursor. He not only tells himself, right, but he turns to the congregation In verse 8, he says, Trust in him at all times, O people. So he's telling himself to do this. And then he looks around and says, People of God, pour out your heart to God, for he is your refuge. Remember our theme, right? That waiting, it brings an opportunity to trust in the Lord. So for us in the room today, Our opportunity now, when we wait in these times of desperation, is to trust Jesus. 
and not to trust the things that are around us that can numb our pain so quickly. For He is our salvation. He is the one who can always be relied upon. In verses 11 and 12, we're not going to look at these too much, but he says that the power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. He ends the psalm with these two truths, that God is powerful and God is loving. That is where our rock is. It's not on a quick fix. It's not on the numb to the pain. It's these two truths that God is powerful. He is in control. And God is loving. He does what is best for you and all of creation. The last thing we'll look at is the fulfillment of waiting. Since Genesis 3, humanity has been waiting. Genesis 3.15, when the fall happens, the first thing, one of the first things that we see is that verse 15 says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So from this point forward in the Bible, we see that humanity is looking forward. They are anticipating, they are waiting for a person that will crush the head of the serpent. The narrative goes on in Genesis 12. God promises Abraham that through his seed, through his offspring, would come blessing to the nations. So people wait. Abraham waits and waits and waits for a child. 2 Samuel 7, there's a covenant with David and God promises an everlasting kingdom to come. Prophet after prophet proclaim the coming of a Messiah. One of the most foreknown is Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So from Genesis 3 forward in the Old Testament, the story is all about anticipation. It is about waiting for the Messiah to come. We turn the page to the New Testament. As Christians now, we get to read this and see the fulfillment that Jesus, the Son of God, He fulfilled the Old Testament promises and prophecies. He's born into a virgin. Luke 2 tells us, The angel said to the shepherds, Fear not! For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The promised Messiah has come. The angels proclaim that this is the one you have been waiting for. They have been anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises and it's here in a manger. But the Jews... They expected a reigning king that would take over the government, take over their oppressors. They expected more from Jesus on earth. They didn't understand that he was coming as a savior who would do more than they expected in the long term, but actually less on earth for the physical powers. They did not expect a savior that would come to conquer sin and death forever. So what did they do? They said, you are not the Savior we've been looking for. And they crucified him. But even the people that crucified him said in Matthew 27, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. Death does not hold him down when his followers go and look for him. Matthew 28 tells us, the angel says, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen 
as he said he would. Jesus beat sin and death once and for all. The God who promised a Messiah in Genesis 3 fulfills his promise beyond anything that was imagined. And since the resurrection, you and me, all of Christ's followers, are spreading the good news of the gospel at the same time waiting for the return of our King to make all things new. Hebrews 9 tells us, So Christ, have being offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Revelation 21, we get a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth, and it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will take away death, and it shall be no more. Neither shall be the mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God has fulfilled his promises time and time again if we look at the redemptive history. Our hope and our refuge is in the fulfillment of God's promises that he is making all things new. Because the truth is, some of these areas in our life where we wait and wait and wait in this lifetime may go without change. Our marriage may never get better. Our body may never heal. Our wayward child may may never come back. But what will happen is that Christ will return. He will make all things new. He will fulfill your waiting. There will be no more pain. There will be no more hurt, no more anxious nights Staying awake, worrying, and waiting. Our text today tells us that God is powerful and He is loving. He will do what is best for us according to His will, fulfilling His promise to us once and for all to make all things new. So this is our, where our hope must lie. Remember, waiting brings an opportunity to trust in the Lord. So let's do that together. Let's trust Him. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful. Uh, Despite the many circumstances that we face in our lives that bring agony to our soul where we wait, knowing you are loving and in control, nonetheless, they still hurt us. God, we know that you will be faithful to your promises to your people, that you will return. Your son will come. He will make all things new and there will be no more pain. There will be no more death. God, in our waiting, we pray that you would be our refuge, that we would look to you each day as our refuge, as our hope. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and that you are so faithful to give him up that we may live with you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen.